right, we are back. You know, we're talking a lot about science here, and I can't resist the following item from New Scientist magazine. This is from their uh, feedback section last month. Here's another strange Amazon recommendation. When Don Curtin ordered a book on chess from the online retailer a year ago, he was told, we've noticed that customers who have expressed interest in Think Like a Grandmaster Algebraic Edition by Alexander Kotov have also ordered The Art of Pole Dancing, a spin-by-spin guide by Peekaboo Pole Dancing Limited. Don Curtin wondered of the magazine whether Amazon needs to tweak its customer software a bit, or perhaps whether his fellow chess fans have some proclivities he's been hitherto been ignorant of. All right, in this part of the program, we like to do obituaries, and I think we'll do one today. I'd like to note the passing of Enrico Banducci, the godfather of comedic careers. Said Dennis McClellan, writing in the Los Angeles Times, Enrico Banducci, the flamboyant San Francisco nightclub impresario whose hungry eye launched the political satirist Mort Saul and played a major role in the careers of Shelley Berman, Woody Allen, Jonathan Winters, and other comedians in the 1950s, has died. He was 85. He was born Harry Banducci in 1922 in Bakersfield. A child prodigy on the violin, he went to San Francisco when he was 13 to study music. At 17, he was getting ready for a violin recital when he decided that Harry was an unsuitable first name for a musician. Enrico Banducci looked more important, more Italian, and yes, less Bakersfield. Banducci bought The Hungry Eye in North Beach in 1951. Under him, the 83-seat club in the basement of the Sentinel Building on Columbus Avenue evolved from a bohemian hangout to a showcase for folk singers such as Stan Wilson. That changed when Banducci hired Mort Saul, the club's first comedian, in late 1953. Banducci reportedly gave Saul time to develop his brand of political satire and encouraged him to speak his mind on stage. We were set free by Enrico, Saul said in April during the launch of Enrico Banducci's Hungry Eye, San Francisco's legendary nightclub that was an exhibition at the San Francisco Performing Arts Library and Museum. Wrote Gerald Nachman in his 2003 book Seriously Funny, The Rebel Comedians of the 50s and 60s, The Hungry Eye had become, by the mid-1950s, the comedy central of its day, the main staging area of the revolutionary movement in stand-up comedy. A stream of new wave comedians performed at the Hungry Eye, including Lenny Bruce, Bill Cosby, Dick Gregory, and Phyllis Diller. One memorable 1963 double bill featured Woody Allen and a young singer named Barbara Streisand. In the process of all this, the Hungry Eye was deemed the most influential nightclub west of the Mississippi. Anyway, we talked in June about uh, the event we attended down in L.A. with a lot of comedians paying tribute to Mort Saul. Well, you know, let's, let's back it up a bit. Mort Saul wouldn't have got it started if it hadn't been for Enrico Banducci. So, Enrico, we salute you. You know, Sacramento Bee's running a column called In History's Spotlight, and this one caught my eye a few, a couple weeks ago. It noted that game show maven Mark Goodson was from Sacramento. He was born here in 1915 and died in 1992. Mark Goodson, along with Bill Todman, was the producer of dozens of television shows and the creator of numerous game shows, including The Price is Right, Family Feud, and To Tell the Truth. 
And if you're old enough to remember any game shows uh, back from the 1960s, you know the names Mark Goodson, Bill Todman. And uh, I personally get a very big kick uh, when I see on late night television on cable some of the reruns of those old shows like What's My Line and To Tell the Truth. I think they made their big uh, their big um, breakthrough with the second version of The Price is Right, which they debuted in 1972. Mark Goodson was born to Russian immigrants Abraham and Fanny Gross Goodson. He graduated from the University of California, Berkeley in 1937. Two years later, he created his first game, which was Pop the Question for a San Francisco radio station, KFRC. It was in 1946 that he and radio writer-director Bill Todman formed Goodson Todman Productions and developed methods that would serve them throughout their careers. In 1993, Mark Goodson was inducted into the Television Academy Hall of Fame. And I don't think we've noted on this program previously that it was 40 years ago this month in October of 1963 that uh, allegedly a group of Bolivian Rangers, but uh, actually it was a Bolivian anti-guerrilla force directed, completely directed by um, U.S. intelligence agents that caught up with Che Guevara in Bolivia. A tremendous amount of energy was invested in tracking down uh, and capturing and, and executing Che Guevara. And you got to say one thing about Che Guevara, by dying young, he's kept his reputation intact, noted The Economist magazine. With the two Castro brothers, he invaded Cuba in the cockleshell Grandma, then, perhaps growing bored, took his leave of Cuba on a dedicated secret mission to set the continent alight. He failed. But many Latin Americans will go on believing that the legends that will be spun around his Pimpernel existence may one day lead to his picture being hung beside that of the Liberator in Latin American halls. The Liberator, of course, is Simon Bolivar. It was a pretty good movie a couple years ago, that, uh, that film, uh, the, the Motorcycle Diaries, which featured uh, the adventures of a young Argentinian Che uh, and a buddy of his trying to motorcycle their way across uh, South America. And in Cuba, he certainly remains the poster boy of the Cuban Revolution. But he was a rather complicated character. It, it, it appears at one point he was made Minister of Finance uh, or Minister of the Treasury or something like that in, in Castro's Cuba when everybody but everybody knew that Che Guevara didn't know a damn thing about finance. He is, to be sure, an interesting character, and we would welcome some comments from you, dear listener, again at info at radioparallax.com. Tell us what you think about the late Che Guevara. All right, in a final obituary for today, we have to note the passing of Bob Denard, the mercenary and coup master of Africa, who died October 13th at age 78. Noted The Economist, there were usually several versions of any story involving Bob Denard. To explain how he came to be found, for example, in the early hours of November 16th, 1989, standing over the blood-soaked and pajama-clad body of the president of the Comore Islands, there were three alternatives. One, Mr. Denard had shot him. Two, the palace bodyguards had burst in wildly, filling the president with bullets. And three, an army commandant had fired off an anti-tank missile by mistake, which had crashed through the window of the presidential bedroom. Apparently, though he was tried, and these were three alternatives presented to the French courts, they were not able to decide which one was correct. He was acquitted. Bob Denard was surely a mercenary extraordinaire. 
noted the magazine money was an attraction. When he could, he built up business interests on the side, but said he could earn more pay as an ordinary soldier. His stronger motives were adventure, idealism, and the fact that he was sitting around Paris bored if he couldn't make war somewhere. He fought in Cold War Africa for anti-communist rulers favored by the West and for any regime that would help the French. In breakaway Katanga in the 1960s, Mr. Denard propped up Moishe Tashombe, a creature of the Belgian mining interests in Congo. His mercenaries, usually only a few of them, were generally Belgian, French, or South African. Bob Denard evidently engineered no less than four coups in the Comore Islands, the archipelago between East Africa and Madagascar. The magazine noted that the coup he arranged in 1978 brought a decade of relative stability to the islands while he took charge of the army and the economy. And, of course, as you might imagine, somebody swashbuckling his way across Africa, you know, uh, promoting coups, may have had some help in high places. The magazine noted that Charles de Gaulle's spymaster Jacques Foucard had first recruited him for Africa. Subsequently, French officials had provided money and passports. Asked during one of his many trials whether he had had a green light from the government for his plots, he said, no, not exactly, just an amber light. We should note uh, finally that Bob Denard, like the people over at Blackwater, found the term mercenary insulting. All right, a couple final items for the day. We uh, would note the media-savvy column by Sam McManus a couple weeks back noted that the ex-KFBK host, Mark Williams, was, uh, was finally speaking out on some dueling lawsuits between him and his former station. Mark Williams, of course, is the, uh, the bag of hot air that used to be vented over at KFBK who, among other things, uh, led the charge locally to get people out protesting the supposed efforts by Al Gore to steal the 2000 election. In other words, have the votes recounted. And uh, by the way, here at uh, non-commercial stations, we are not allowed to suggest to people they go out and show up on the steps of such and such and demonstrate. That's a call to action, and we're just not allowed to do that. Williams is now claiming that uh, his former uh, former <laughs> employers have public, publicly called him a bozo, a stalker, and a psychotic on the air or on the Internet. And this is one case where we would champion the First Amendment rights of people to call Mark Williams a bozo, stalker, or psychotic. Actually, it's very unclear whether, uh, reading the article here, whether anybody actually called him that or whether some caller that called him or called him that. And I, I don't know. I, I just kind of hope the whole case could just fall off a cliff. Although we are curious to know uh, how much a back pay was involved in the $80,000 the station, uh, you know, that he claims the station owes him. And in a somewhat related uh, sort of issue, we will just, I think, quote from the Sacramento Bee on the following. This is from the 21Q uh, blog in, in the Bee. Everett follows Kraft out KSAC's door. Three weeks after Christine Kraft's departure, liberal radio station KSAC, 1240 AM, has lost another local voice, Douglas Everett. Everett, host of Radio Parallax on Saturday nights, confirmed that he has parted ways with the station, but declined to comment further. His show, however, can still be heard at 5 p.m. Thursday nights on KDVS 90.3 FM, the student-run station at UC Davis. For those keeping track at home, KSAC is down to only one Sacramento-centric show, 
Pop-Off at 11 a.m. Saturdays, hosted by Mary Jane Pop. We will add uh, nothing to that reporting at this juncture except to say that we're glad that words like bozo, stalker, and psychotic never entered into anyone's discussion. Oh, and how about the Democrats' letter to Rush Limbaugh fetching $2.1 million? We got to talk about that, but not today because we're out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time.